So we've been talking about Jesus. Um, we've been talking about who he is. and um, We've been talking about, kind of wrapping up last time, we were talking about his humanity. He's missing a different and um, so if you're, if you're in the notes, we kind of have been, I think we're around the end of page three, and we were just getting into some of the things. So I think one thing I want to start with is maybe, right, uh, the, the implications of the, what does it mean that Jesus really was human? What does it mean? So um, we, we can kind of, we'll touch on these individually, but. Like when you think about Jesus' humanity, the fact that God was made a man, what is it that's most encouraging or what is it that that sticks out or stands out the most to you about the fact that God became the form of a man, that Jesus took the form of a man? That he was willing to be completely humiliated for me. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you think, when you think about that, the humility, the humiliation of taking that form? What is there any particular part, birth, life, death, resurrection that most? I think the whole thing. Yeah. Becoming a baby, being completely dependent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being born, being born. Like, low, low status, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, what stands out is that he was willing to be scourged, mm-hmm. and they did not take his life. He willingly gave his life on the mm-hmm. cross mm-hmm. for me and my sins. It wasn't involuntary. He volunteered mm-hmm. yeah. to give his life. Yeah. yeah. Which, to me, you wonder why. <laughs> right, right. That he would do that for yeah. a sinful person. Yeah. And that really, I mean, it's a great um, point to ask. And, like, one of the first things that we'll see is that um, Jesus, you know, take on that humility, and why did he do that, right? He came in a way to to represent, to represent us, right, in a way that we could never um, represent ourselves in a righteous way. So let's look. Let's look at Romans. It's there in your in your handout. But Romans five, verse eighteen and nineteen. I think you read this the other day as well. But if you want to flip to Romans five in the Bibles. Paul has gone through and talked about the state of man that we're all all of sin, we fall short of God's glory, we're objects of wrath and he's talked about Abraham being justified through faith and he's starting to talk about Adam in chapter 5 and he talked about how when we were talking about Jesus' conception that one thing that was uh, unique was that he was you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit, whereas in verse 12, uh, Paul talks about just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So that was our the first Adam. And then we read in 5, 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteousness. So who is the the one man that brought sin? Right, Adam. And so, and there's kind of that, kind of in two ways, right? We were children of sinful man, right? So we kind of inherited that, that nature, but we also have our own sins, right, that we've chosen in that same way. And so how, how is that being compared here? Right? What's he, what is he saying about Christ? How is it like this? 
one man's obedience Yeah. So that one man's obedience it can result in what? Um, save everyone. Yeah, it can save everyone. So that that obedience and right it says through his obedience many will be made righteous. So and let's clarify, what does that mean that we're made righteous through his obedience? Does that mean we put our faith in Christ and now we're automatically perfectly obeying Christ? Are we free from sin at that point, never disobeying God again? There's immediate sanctification and then sanctification through the rest of our life. And like there's a conflict of two natures throughout our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so when he's talking about we are made righteous, right, he's saying that it's not that he's taking us and he lived a righteous life and now he's going to make us and we will be perfectly righteous as he was. But instead, we are made to be righteous through his righteousness. He's representative of us in that sense. And there is a sense in which we become more and more righteous as we are formed in his image. So he's our representative in terms of our righteous life. And he's also, he also represents us uh, on the cross, like we talked about. Right? So Hebrews 10.4. Right? Does anyone have Hebrews 10? Let's look that up. Right? Hebrews 10. I got that. Got it? For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Yeah, and we read also earlier in, in Hebrews that assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants, or to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So what's the idea here? Why, what's the difference between the animal sacrifice? Why was it necessary to have a different sacrifice? Andrew, what do you think? I mean, you can't, for like one's own sin, you can't just use somebody else's as they're not perfect as what like Christ was. Christ was the perfect like sacrifice, the perfect substitution for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and up to this point, what have they been? What had they been sacrificing? Animals. Yeah, they've been sacrificing animals, right, as they've been commanded to do. And we read from Hebrews that could that sacrifice? What was part of the problem with the sacrifice? They had to, they had to keep doing it. Yeah, it was a continual <laughs> sacrifice. And it, it was kind of a covering over, but not necessarily a taking away. We, we, what did it say in 10.4 that it's impossible what? For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Yeah, to take away the sin. Because the wages of sin is not animal death. Yeah. Wages of sin, your sin is Human, your death. Yeah. So. That, that's the, the payment. Yeah. Yeah, and so we see that God requires, right, the, the death of uh, the man for the sins of man, right? And so then we see that um, either, right, we have a couple of options, right? Either we can die and suffer the wrath and punishment, and that will righteously appease uh, God's judgment, or what's the alternative? Christ takes our place. Right, but someone has to pay for our sins, right? And so Jesus represents us, takes that burden. So that him being a man allowed him to step into our place and suffer as a man, die as a man, and suffer the, the consequences of our sins and be our representative. Okay, so he represents us in the life that we ought to live and the death that we ought to have died for our sins. And that allows him to be a mediator, right? So what's a, what's a mediator, guys? How would you define that for somebody? Andy wants to tell me. You got any idea what's a mediator? <laughs> I can always like, don't call me. <laughs> uh, somebody that is a spokesperson for you. Yeah, yeah, and oftentimes uh, you go in between two parties. Way to, way to go. Way to go. <laughs> so he's a spokesman, and who is he speaking for? As a mediator. For us. He's speaking for us to God, right? 
And also, I think a mediator, we can't forget, he also speaks for God to us, right? He mediates between the two parties, right? Where we were enemies, right? Now we are reconciled through Christ, through that one mediator between man and God. So, um, the next thing is that, like, when we look at God's original plan for creation. So let's flip back to Genesis. Flip back to Genesis. Back, all the way back to chapter 1, we were talking about what, what is a man. We kind of use this verse. What, are man, what is man as creation? So, Nathaniel, you got chapter 1, verse 26. Yeah. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. <clears throat> and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay. And then you got the reference there too. It says 28, so just a couple verses later. And God, God, yeah, go ahead. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yeah, so we see a couple times in those verses, we see the word dominion, we see subdue, right? So I guess one question is, you know, did Christ in his earthly life, did he have dominion? Did he come and rule over in our place, over all of creation? What do you think? Okay, all right. All right. Uh, and, and, and because... So if you take a good look at Mark, for mm -hmm. example. Just, just one example out of right. four. Um, you see his his physical dominion mm -hmm. over over sickness mm -hmm. um, as, as he heals. You see his dominion over the spiritual realm mm -hmm. as he casts out demons. And, <coughs> see, and his, his dominion over the, the physical realm mm -hmm. as the, also through as he calms the sea. Yes. And yes. That's very good. Yeah. And so when you, yeah, that's a, some pretty big, right? You've got healing, right? He's got power and authority over sickness, disease, the earth, right? The spiritual realm. And is there any areas in which maybe, when I was thinking about this, what, when, the, when the Jews maybe, one of their problems was they were thinking and looking for what kind of a dominion? Conquering. Yeah, like a conquering political, political. governmental, right? A ruling king, right? And so, how would you, let's say we're putting ourselves in that time, how would we maybe explain to them that how Jesus could, how could Jesus be the Messiah, but maybe not at that time? Or did he say anything about his kingdom or his rule? Well, the evidence was there. Mm -hmm. They couldn't miss it. Yeah. They just chose to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's kind of a misplaced political idolatry mm -hmm. where what Jesus was doing was really greater and politics were the lesser. Mm -hmm. And they thought what he was doing was lesser and that would build to the greater of the, of mm -hmm. the politics. And there is a sense where he will actually take a political throne. Right. But he was actually doing greater works than leading a country or defeating the Romans. Um, defeating sin, death, and all those other things. But yeah, I think there was a political idolatry. Yeah, and I think um, you said a couple interesting things. I think um, one is we do want to acknowledge that it, right in the the second coming, right, that he will eventually come and create this you know earthly physical rule where he is ruling over everything. And so there is a sense in which we're waiting and expecting for that full culmination that kingdom. And then, yeah, the, I think sometimes that particular rule is sometimes placed as more important. Yeah. Right? And do you think, I don't know, do you guys think sometimes we can still do that today, you know, with our 
You think? Yeah. So, I think that's something that's interesting to dwell on is that he he came to rule over creation, but in not necessarily the way that maybe we each person was hoping that he would rule. Any other thoughts on that idea of his coming to rule? That makes you think, um, you know, <clears throat> he did come and he was the king when he came, mm-hmm. but they wanted a certain kind of kingdom, mm-hmm. a certain kind of kingship. And so essentially they said, if, if you won't provide us the, king, the kind of kingship that we want, if you don't give us the results that we're asking for, then we won't recognize you as mm-hmm. king. Mm-hmm. And it is overly spiritualizing it, but sometimes I think as believers or those who are at least considering following Jesus, there can be a similar sense of, I like this Jesus mm-hmm. as my Lord as long as he produces these things in my life, as long as he gives me the specific mm-hmm. things that I want. And then if he, sorry, deceptive or not. If he disappoints me, mm-hmm. in my translator, sorry. <laughs> if he disappoints me, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'll look for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually pretty common. Even for, in a sense, faithful believers at times, we, we don't realize that we're actually demanding certain things from him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when, when things get really hard, and we don't get things that we thought he was mm-hmm. promising us, even in very spiritual terms, yeah. our, heart, our hearts can go hard pretty quick. Yeah. And I think that's one thing when you think about, like, what's the point, uh, or what's one of the main goals of, like, studying, you know, proper theology, who is God the Father, who is God the Son, is that I think many times when I have a conversation, I think more happens with me with unbelievers, is they give me reasonings, rationale about why this particular God doesn't exist. And usually they're right. That kind of God doesn't exist. And so they have in their mind, or we have in our mind, who God is, what he's like, and then we see something in our life that goes against that. And we think, okay, well, this is what God is like. This goes against that, so that God must not exist. And so more often it's allowing ourselves to say, maybe the God that I'm trying to characterize, that one doesn't exist, but this God that's revealed himself through Scripture. So I have to allow my vision of who God is to be shaped by Scripture. And when I see something that seems to counter, I'll let the Scripture tell me, okay, maybe that thing that I thought about God wasn't true, and God is actually different from my expectation, different from my vision that I had. So we see that you know, all throughout, Christ was our example, and we talked about how he's just our human representative, that he obeyed perfectly, and so I think that's one thing that we don't want to overlook is that um, you know, John, 1 John 2.6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, right? So it gives us a, an example. Can you think of some ways specifically in Scripture or in your life where you look to Jesus and his example informs you as to how you can live your life? In First Peter, it talks about how Jesus was reviled and there's to revile on. Yeah. So yeah. Are you in our midst Bible study? Because that's what we're doing right <laughs> now. Okay. <laughs> Have you been listening in? <laughs> Man, yeah. And that he was a suffering savior. Yeah. So we are to we are to understand that he suffered, and mm-hmm. therefore we, as his followers, will suffer. Yeah, and he gives us like that's who we're to look to. This is how you suffer under crooked, right, perverse either government or masters. That's really good. And some other ways you can see, like in Jesus' life, example how you ought to live. Like you? Example of prayer, like when he prays for Peter, mm-hmm. or when he prays in the garden, mm-hmm. like just the importance that Jesus had for prayer. Like mm-hmm. that was when Pe- when um, Peter was going to be sifted by Satan, he prayed to God. Mm-hmm. We ought to do the same. Yeah, yeah. And the disciples they noticed that too. They saw him praying. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. I think of Jesus. Um, <coughs> dying and rising from the dead. In some ways, it's easy to, to think, well, he, he knew he was going to rise from the dead. So, you know, <clears throat> yeah, he suffered, but he knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the reality is he had never risen from the dead before. Yeah. Um, and we're actually given the exact same promise <laughs> that we'll rise from the dead. And we've never risen from the dead right. before. Yeah. So, so, so in that sense, he, he's our example of what it means to trust in the promises of God. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's, it reminds me of, uh, there's a little bit of discussion about how, um, you know, in Jesus' humanity, it, it talks about how he learned, he grew in wisdom. And so, in, in a certain sense, he, he knew, but he also came to know through experience uh, of, of being a man. So there's that, that aspect of everything that we endure as a believer. He not only knew omnisciently as the Father, but he knew experientially the form of, of a man. Um, I think one other thing I think about is um, I think the way that in which he spoke to people um, that is a tremendous model to follow. He had a way of uh, saying very difficult things with loving intention or righteous intention, not to burn people, you know, or to own them in a sense, but. To, to present the truth of the gospel and whether or not those people were rejecting it or, or accepting it. And it's a tremendous example when you think about how he interacted with the Pharisees and how he interacted with sin, sinful people. You know, other things you guys think of, I think it's tremendous, tremendous aspect of his humanity that he gives us a model. I think his willingness to submit, that's the other First Peter um, theme, mm-hmm. that he was completely willing to submit to God's plan mm-hmm. and he calls us to submit mm-hmm. across the board to yeah. God's plan to people who are in authority over us to our husbands to, I mean there's, there's just got the first Peter going the <laughs> that's right that's right we spend a lot of time yeah talking about that like as citizens he gives us a model of how to submit to an unrighteous right um or as employees, we're not slaves, but as employees, and talks to wives, and uh, yeah, and I think in, you know in that in that passage it talks about how let, letting our exam- our conduct be an example, conduct towards unbelievers, and so you know that people are constant. Like, how many times do you read in the Gospels about how they were watching Jesus, right, looking for a way, trying to find a way, something to accuse him on, and so I think you know. He was an example of that for us too. People are watching your, watching us, watching our life, our conduct, our words. He talked about you know him being resurrected. So it's interesting that you know he he gives us a pattern for our redeemed bodies. Okay, let's turn to First Corinthians. This is kind of a neat, neat one. Let's see. That's before Second Corinthians. <laughs> Just to help you out. Okay, First Corinthians fifteen. Noah, you got this one forty-two to forty-four. Yeah. Uh, forty-four. Mm-hmm. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Yeah. So, right, it makes you wonder. Uh, so what were some things that we saw about Jesus' resurrected body? You may remember, can you think back? Things that were different or... He did eat fish. So he still eats, right? So it makes me think, mm, still eat, right? Let's eat. He had the holes in his hands. Yeah, yeah. So maybe like it makes you quite okay. So what, what's is it? How? Yeah. What is it gonna? What's gonna stay? Right? Am I gonna have the wrinkles or not have the wrinkles? Right? It seemed like it took some people a minute to realize it was him. Mm-hmm. Like at first they didn't. Oh, yeah, I, I see it now. Yeah, and I've wondered about that. You, yeah. I wonder if it's their, like their state, their expectation. Is was it how different was his? The receiving hairline. Was <laughs> 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 restored. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. Or did they just recognize his voice and not his physical appearance? That's what I've always wondered. Yeah. It was really, that, or the way he talked was all of a sudden the light bulb went off. Right. Yeah. 
He was in one place at a time, mm -hmm. but he didn't move from place to place with the same limitations. Yeah. Was it like there was it locked up and he then could he go through walls, appeared with a monkey? Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one place at a time. We don't see him appearing. You know, ten thousand of him in different places. But his physical limitations seemed to change. Yeah, yeah something something changed. Mm -hmm. And we got to kind of get hints, like in this example, that it's so in a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. And then, so there is going to be a physical body, but the the nature or the the type of that physical body is going to be somehow different, better, more eternal. Uh, there's another text where it talks about how the the mortal puts on the immortal, in a sense. So, in this text, that uses the terms imperishable glory and power to describe his body. So, powerful, mm. glorious, and imperishable. Okay, I'm just gonna make a speculation because it's totally just for fun. Okay. So yesterday I saw a girl I haven't seen in a while. She's college age, and she had been kind of anorexic, mm -hmm. and she has now. Not, she's no longer anorexic. Mm -hmm. She's eating properly and she looks healthy and good. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize her when mm -hmm. I first saw her. Mm -hmm. But then upon Julia being like, no, that's her. I was like, oh, it is. It's like a full, healthy version mm -hmm. of her. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if when we are like our healthiest, like right. most restored, glorified us, yeah. if we'll be like, that was what God that was going for with that model. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I'm going to go back to First Peter. We memorized First Peter one three, but I love that um, talking about the inheritance that's mm -hmm. waiting for us, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Yeah. One of my favorite. Problems. Imperishable again, yeah. undefiled, and unfading, and unfading. in heaven for you. Yeah. Yeah, and it, sometimes it's hard because, again, like fish in the water, it's hard for us to know because that's all we know is the physical, yeah. cursed, mm -hmm. fallen world. And it's hard for us to imagine, right, this free from, right, undefiled, you know, unfading. So, yeah, to me it's, I think there's, there's, there's evidence where it points to not being, you know, somehow more wispy spiritual but more heavy more solid more real you know than we are now i think spiritually though too we'll be like sinless mm -hmm. so like our essence will be like different there'll be a vibrancy of like mm -hmm. we are no longer mm -hmm. sin cursed you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i think that would i don't know i feel like they'll look different i think so in like just our being yeah, I think sometimes you're, you just, when you interact with people, sometimes what's going on internally, you can read that, right? And in a sense, sometimes in their expression, their, their demeanor, their posture, there's all kinds of body language that is linked to our spiritual state. For someone who's you know, super excited or someone who's very depressed, right? It's a different state. So I think you're onto something there where when you have a totally redeemed, glorified soul, right? Your body will be matching that, in a sense. Something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to. Um, so then also we have, when you think about just our state right now, um, let's look at Hebrews 2. We've been in Hebrews a lot. We're talking about Jesus as our, our representative, our high priest. And so Hebrews 2, verse 18 Hebrews 2.18. Cole, you want to get that one? Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we talked about how he represents us, like he, he was obedient in all the ways that we should have, but we weren't obedient, right? But what's, what aspect is it talking about here? How does his humanity connect him to us? He was tempted by Satan. Yeah, yeah, he was tempted by Satan. Let's go to that. Let's go to, um, I think, Matthew 4, maybe? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Let's go to Matthew 4. Okay. We want to do some extended reading. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these will give, I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the place where, again, it's something where I think sometimes we uh, we can give Jesus not not I don't know how to say it. don't don't give him credit. You know, like well, he was God, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And we kind of neglect or negate the fact that he was truly human. He was truly tempted. So he like he was like he was tempted in the extremes of like each area he was, and then he went. What he did was he went to the Word. Mm-hmm. He didn't like try to use his like the human like self like understanding or rationalization. He just went immediately to God's Word. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, so we see not only that he was tempted, but when we look at his temptation, we see the way in which the pattern in which we resist temptation. Mm-hmm. Well, because he was human in every way. And I think that's what we forget, is that food was important, water was important, power. I mean, those are all Mm -hmm. things that the flesh, number one, Mm -hmm. requires for Mm -hmm. survival, and number two is just the temptation of the flesh. Yeah. So, and he was fully human. Yeah. I've heard somebody, um, I don't know if it, who it was, maybe Lewis, but talked about how to truly, to truly experience the full strength of the temptation, you have to resist. Because the moment you, sub, uh, you know, sin and temptation, you've, uh, you've not experienced the full force, right? If you go to war and you lose to the first soldier, right, you've only experienced a very small fraction of that power. But as long as you stand up against it and it continues to bring its full force, you can experience that temptation into its fullest sense. I think it's interesting that what stopped it too was the act of his speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the words have a lot of power, especially when he, um, you know, he's going to the source, but it's also the act, I think, of speaking against it that has uh, implications. And like this, the fact that he was placing his trust, his faith in the promises mm-hmm. of the scriptures. I mean, that's really what finished <laughs> that temptation was at the end, you know, mm-hmm. when it came to a close, he spoke and then he, he yeah. Anything else about him representing us through temptation that just kind of stands out to you? Yeah, I think um, as far as could he have, would he have ever have sinned? I mean, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, I read this in a book and I've used this in a sermon. It'd be like somebody who's going to swim the English Channel. Um, usually when they do that, they're kind of surrounded by a small flotilla of boats mm-hmm. in case, you know, the worst happens. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, Jesus, but, but the person who still swam, I mean, even though they're with a flotilla of boats, mm-hmm. they made it all the way. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus' divinity would have made sure that he would never have drowned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he did this all without drawing upon that yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and it's a forty-day assault mm-hmm. by yeah. by Satan. It's a uh, it's temptation like none of us have ever truly mm-hmm. experienced at all. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, so I mean, he understands the depths of all that I temptation. Think also, something, an implication that we shouldn't overlook is that Jesus was not tainted by temptation. Mm. Like, the fact that somebody would come to him and say, I'll give you all these kingdoms, that doesn't make us think, oh, Jesus was tempted by power. Mm-hmm. You don't raise an eyebrow because mm-hmm. somebody was tempted. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, whatever we're tempted by doesn't taint us. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not a cause of guilt or shame for mm-hmm. us until and unless we give into it. Yeah. And because he didn't, he's not. And so I just think that's an important thing. Like, we want to put people in categories by what they're tempted by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But God only looks at what we do. Mm-hmm. Right, how, I res- how we respond. How we respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, yeah. Favorite, my favorite saying was that... You, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building the nest. Yeah, yeah. Right? exactly. That kind of idea. Exactly. Yeah, I listened to a testimony of a guy who um, came out of a homosexual background. Mm-hmm. And he said the real turning point for him was he was in a bathroom at like some state fair in Oklahoma, and a guy exposed himself to him. And one of the thoughts that really kind of haunted him was, what was it about me? that caused him to think I would be interested in something like that. So right there was kind of like the switch where he was defined by his temptation. Mm -hmm. And Jesus doesn't say, well, what was it about me that would make Satan think that I would Mm -hmm. do Do this? And so I think that's one thing is like, when you define yourself by your temptation, what is it uniquely about me or whatever? Satan must sense sense Mm -hmm. some sort of weakness. Well. That was true of Jesus too. It, it's it's not something that has to define you. Yeah. Doesn't it say more about the power that the devil had? Because, like we talked about, you know, Jesus was king over the physical and the spiritual, um, but Satan had control over like the political, like the human, and so it was like the only thing Satan could offer mm-hmm. that Jesus didn't have, mm-hmm. and, and obviously didn't need or didn't want, but. Yeah, and I think there's a, a tie there. I think he knew, he knew that, and he's also, um, oftentimes, he will play against whatever God's sovereign role or place is for you. Mm-hmm. So if it's in the garden, what the one thing God said, don't eat from the street, that's where Satan's going to go for mm-hmm. temptation. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about Christ, you know, he's humbled himself into this lowly place, and Satan's offering him these temptations that push against that, reject God's place, God's sovereign role that he's assigned to each one of us. And so sometimes, you know, I think about if God has, you know, sovereignly chosen that you, you know, have a low income, he might tempt you with greed towards, um, you know, cheating or lying to, you know, to gain wealth or whatever that might be. If he's sovereignly placed you in a time of singleness, he might tempt you um, in ways to t- have an ungodly relationship or marriage in that sense. So th- I think that's kind of what Satan is going to use, whatever the best means as he thinks to, mm-hmm. to pull you away from what God has put into our life. Yeah? I think the final verse is that all where he says you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I think in the modern times, so many of us forget this, mm-hmm. and we want a lot of things, mm-hmm. like monetary mm-hmm. things, and fancy houses, and boats, and so, and that way, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself and what you want. And in a way, you're actually serving Satan because that's what he wants you to do is, you might say, kind of take your eye off of the prize. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus in his perfectness is what we really desire Mm -hmm. to follow him and see him. Yeah. And Satan tries to throw all these other things at us to <coughs> take our minds away from that. And when we do that, we're actually worshiping power and money and 
political system or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're not worshiping God when we do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just talked about this in our Bible study of like what's the balance between like our sin and the devil. Mm -hmm. And like how did that come to play? And, and we went to James 1.14 that says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm -hmm. So like it is our own desire mm -hmm. that like you said, like the devil can use that to tempt us into sin, but the root of it is our own flesh and our own mm -hmm. desire, and that's how we're lured. And that's <coughs> how we each have different temptations. Because mm -hmm. we each have our own desires. Yeah. Yeah, and those desires, it's a, I think sometimes um, Sometimes he's using a, a good desire that he's seeking to get us to fulfill it in, in an ungodly way. So if you have a desire that God give you a wife and a spouse, that's a good good thing to desire. But if we seek to do that in an ungodly way, then we're... Saying, you can't just say, like, the devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, our own desire, whether it's for something evil or sometimes even for something good, but we're pursuing it. Good so things can become idols, just like anything. When they become a ruling thing, if you're right. paltry, that's what he says. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. The but, other place that I've always, so when Jesus was tempted to despair in the garden, when he said, if this cup could be removed, I've always, I've always looked at that as mm -hmm. Jesus really reaching that place of if please remove this cup if it is your will and I think that I mean if I if I think of the times that I have reached that place where I just want God to just take it away this is too hard mm -hmm. just take it away and and I always have to remember that Jesus submitted fully to God's plan mm -hmm. that his plan was he was going to drink the cup and he was going to suffer mm -hmm. And it was, and so yeah. just submitting to God's plan because the temptation is to despair and just say, I can't do this. I yeah. can't go on. I think it's one great observation, too, like you said, that he asked him yes. if it was possible to take it away. And Paul, we know in Paul, he prayed more than once that God would take away the thorn in his flesh. So there's nothing wrong with asking with right. the attitude of. Submission. But your will be done. Yeah. This is a little different, but I read this yesterday and it stood out to me. I'm thinking of Hebrews 2.18 saying mm -hmm. um, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted because he's like us. Mm -hmm. and earlier in Hebrews 2, um, 2.11, it says that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really beautiful, powerful text that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's mm -hmm. not like embarrassed by us. Mm -hmm. uh, part of his entering into our humanity is like a, a willful, joyful, non-embarrassed mm -hmm. yeah. joining with us. Yeah. The firstborn of many brethren. Right? He's the, the example. I think that when that particularly brings out the fact sometimes just that how far Christ came and to come so close to us. I think sometimes we, it's tough to balance because we want to lift up him and exalt him as so high above us, but he also is so near to us that he calls us his brethren. It's a tough, tough. It's a tough uh, balance to, to strike to know that you can be so so close to God, although He is so high and so so far above us at the same time. Well, and we are called to humility, and He is the ultimate example of humility. Mm -hmm. And yeah. under, I mean, that's another part of His example. But yeah, yeah. I think we're just kind of. Wrapping that whole idea up, I think it's important to remember um, the question. There's one question that sometimes people say, "Well, if Jesus didn't sin, he wasn't really doesn't really know what it's like to be human." So that you see, it's kind of there's a what's kind of going on there when someone's making that argument. What's what's going on in their mind? What's the the idea? That to be truly human means to sin. Yeah, that's that's you're part of human. yeah. You're only human. Uh, I heard um, 
I saw one of those, it was like a montage of clips where it's like people doing street evangelism, right? And they ask the same questions, person after person after person after person, right? And uh, they would say, um, I can't remember exactly the, the wording, but it was like, you know, have, have you ever, uh, have you ever lied? And they'd say, yeah, what does that make you? Human. And so, well, have you ever murdered anyone? No. If you murder someone, what's that make you? A murderer, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea that like certain sins, then that makes you that type of being, but other sins, that's just part of mm -hmm. human nature, right? So I think kind of like we were talking about before, it's important to remember that hu being human is not, we're, we're kind of saturated in it, right? Everyone we know, right? Every, our family, our friends, right? We are sinful humans, but we're all part of that curse. But that's not the original design. That's not the plan for before sin, and we'll be redeemed from that after. And so to kind of have that hope that Jesus is our example, that we will be one day like him in our body and in our soul, in our spirit, free from sin, you know, with a redeemed body. Okay. 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 Maybe a couple more. Thing. So, this is a question. I want you to think about this over the next week. So, like, what's the difference between being a normal man or woman and perfect man or woman? So, to think about this over the next week. And right now, let's just get it going. Let's just get it going. I mean, maybe you can get a few thoughts, but like. So, perfect or perfected? Mm, what? Well, let's go either one. Either one. What do you think? Perfect, perfected, normal. So when you're, so define normal. Okay, I like I do this a lot in class, or even as a parent, right? I just so that's normal not normal. Is only a setting on the dryer. That's a. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always do that. I always give it in my class, right? And I talk about. All normal means is that it's like what most, okay. that's like the, the average, right? You're in the norm. So if, you, if you're really on the ex either extreme end, you're not normal. You're, you're abnormal in a sense. So when people say sometimes that's not normal, I'm like, yeah, sometimes I don't want to be normal. In the sense, like, for example, with, with sin, it's, sin is a normal thing um, in humanity. And so the more we fight against sin, um, the less normal we are. Other? Well, I kind of go back to your, I'm going back to another question. That okay. Asked, That's why okay. Why do people not, or why do people say, oh, he wasn't really human because oh, yeah. he didn't sin? Well, mm -hmm. <clears throat> my and I've had people say that mm -hmm. before too, but understanding that he is our example, mm -hmm. and the reason they ask that question is they don't want it. They don't. They don't want to change their life. They're perfectly content, mm -hmm. right where they are, mm -hmm. without conscience about their sin, mm -hmm. and they don't want a challenge to be different than that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that is totally that is a gift of God that God gives us to be able to say, "I want to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. I want Him to be my Lord and Savior." Um, so then, if you're normal, <laughs> so then it's it's really about how, what do you want? Do you want to be perfected by the Lord, or do you want to just remain? In, Status yeah. Well. yeah. I think of like, per perfect in terms of like Adam being perfect, Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. and then normal today. Mm -hmm. So perfect pre-fall, your relationship with God, mm -hmm. your relationship with others, you're creating God's image, you're given responsibility, mm -hmm. and, and in some ways, when you think of normal today, it, it actually is all of those things are still here. Yeah. But they're all but they're all just messed up. Yeah. They're all corrupted. And I think sometimes as Christians, rightfully something like Romans 3, where we talk about we're, we're sinners, no one can see God, no one knows God, and we can emphasize the negative part, and that's appropriate, obviously, mm -hmm. because we are corrupted, and we mess up everything. 
But sometimes we forget some of the other parts that we are still creating in God's image, and that is a core element of what it means to be normal, mm-hmm. even today. Uh, we are still are responsible. We get responsibility by God. We are still in relationship with other people. We also have the potential of that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Those things are also still part of our normal existence. Mm-hmm. And, and so both things need to be emphasized when we talk about what it means to be human now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Because the, the original... You know, ideal Adam, and then when we look at our redeemed, is like we're looking at a goal. But when we talk about how to live now, we have to understand both aspects. Like you're talking about that. What does it look like? Like you said, to the positive and negative elements both at the same time. Okay. Okay. About checking my clock. Let's, let's next time we'll maybe kind of start piggybacking off of that and. We will pick up probably right around where we're talking about the divinity of Christ. Okay, let me close us in a moment. We'll pray, Father. I thank you for just our discussion today. And many times, I just pray that you would, through the Word and through discussion, remind us of things that many of us have learned and heard before, but we don't maybe don't apply it or integrate it into it's a deep enough belief that it really plays out in every part of our life. Uh, help us to remember all of these facts about your humanity, that you are our example, that you died in our place, that you are our mediator between God and man, and so many others that can help us to rightly view life in um, this world and life through your Son. I pray that as we live these things out, that we would be an example in our actions and that we'd be able to speak clearly and uh, from your word to those in our lives and those around us. We thank you for this morning. Please be with us as we continue in our worship of you and just work in our hearts to stir one another up to love and to good deeds. In your name, amen.